This is the Believe in Mariners podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, a podcast for Mariners fans with Mariners insight and Mariners insiders. Brought to you by betonline.ag. This is the Believe in Mariners podcast. Everybody charging Randy Johnson out there and the fans coming out on the field. 19 long years of frustration is over. It finally happened. A perfect game by a Seattle Mariner. It was done by the king, Felix Hernandez. I enjoy it, Seattle. Yes, indeed. Everybody exploding with their lungs here. All right, welcome in, everybody. Episode three of the Believe in Mariners podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network. We are taping this on October 20th. The Astros have just beaten the Yankees last night in game one of the ALCS. I'm sad the Mariners are not in the ALCS. I'm happy to see the Astros beating somebody other than the Mariners, though. That's nice. And the Mariners obviously swept away in three games in the American League Division Series. My goal is to really get this podcast going over the course of the offseason. And we're going to talk to fun people who have fun things to say about the Mariners. So joining us now is Luke Arkins over at uh, Prospect Insider, who I've really started following a lot this year. Luke, thanks for being with us, man. How are you? Hey, Brady. Thanks for having me. It's uh, It's been a great season, hasn't it? It's been a great season. And I got to say, though, I- I'm not happy to see the Mariners out of the playoffs, but I'm happy at the own personal hell that I was living in being over. And the reason was is because I am a radio host on the East Coast. And I'm on the air every day from 4 until 7 Eastern time. Well, that Toronto game, the game one that Castillo started, was a 4.37 Eastern time start. So I had to tape that game and watch it after the fact. The Houston game was 3.37 both days in games one and two. So I had to tape those games and watch them after the fact. Trying to avoid social media, human interaction, and watch sports three hours behind is a very difficult and unfun place to live. And when you've lived in that spot and you watch the game and you get to the end and Robbie Ray gives up the homer to Alvarez, and then you go back to your phone and realize that all these people had texted you two hours ago when the game actually ended, just a miserable existence. Well, that's the the, the life of a baseball fan, isn't it? To some degree, <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, you, you live with your team. There's, there's 162 games and uh, it's just an up and down ride the whole time, even when it's a really good team. And in the end, you know, uh, disappointment settles in. You know, so I have known Jason at Prospect Insider a little bit. This year, I really got turned on to you and your work, and I really appreciate everything that you do analytically and really a lot of good nuggets on Twitter. Give me a little bit about your background, because you didn't grow up an M's fan, as I understand it. No, I am uh, originally from New York. Uh, I joined the Navy out of high school and uh, moved around the country quite a bit. But I was, I grew up a Mets fan. And uh, when I grew I'm up... sorry about fan, that. Well, hey, uh, you know... Uh, when I grew up a Mets fan, the Yankees were the were the the big act in town, and so uh, you know most of my friends were Yankee friend, uh, fans, and so uh, took a lot of verbal abuse from those guys. Um, and then I uh, moved out, like I said, went to join the Navy, went around the country, got to see a lot of uh, different teams, different markets. Finally moved to Seattle in two thousand and nine, uh, and met a woman who was a diehard Mariners fan, and so here I am. I don't know how long I'm going to make this like my go-to question. I've asked people this in the first two episodes. I might bring it out for a few more uh, as I talk to people for the first time. But you became a Mar- You started following the M's in 2009. So who are some of your favorite drought Mariners? 
Uh, how about uh, Franklin Gutierrez, who's uh, my wife's second favorite player behind Edgar? Love Goody. Um, Death to flying things. Yes, yes. Uh, Andy Chavez, another guy who... Uh, former Met. Yes, former Met made that great catch. And it was a 2006 NLCS. 2006. Uh, and then it didn't really matter because the Mets lost the game anyway. And so <laughs> nobody remembers. That would have been one of the great catches in Mets history if they had won that game and went on to the World Series. But it's sort of a, just an afterthought now. Um, uh, Hisashi Iwakuma, I thought he was a heck of a player and kind of, he did great things and then he, he left and then he, like, he's almost forgotten about now and that's too bad. See, it's crazy because when I ask people that question, a lot of them tend to go to the more positive side of things. I tend to go to the more ridiculous former drought Mariners, like Rob Johnson comes to <laughs> mind, you know, scarring me there and, uh, you know, thinking about uh, Jeremy Reed, um, you know, and his failure as a prospect. So, I mean, I, I tend to, I saw a game, I told this story in episode one, but in 2009, ironically enough, I went to the new Yankees game that opened and the Yankees ended up winning the World Series. I went to two games of the three games set between the Yankees and Mariners. And game one was started by Chris Jakubowskis and Chris oh. Woodward was playing shortstop and Ronnie Cedeno was at second. And ironically enough, I believe the Mariners actually won this game. But, you know, I, I tend to think of those Mariners before I think of Goody. I liked Kenji Jojima. You know, I, I've liked a lot of Mariners in this time period, but uh, I tend to go to the ones who scarred me emotionally the most. Well, that's, uh, you know, baseball. Well, you've lived on the East Coast for so long. That's sort of typical for the East Coast ba baseball fan. <laughs> True. A lot of self-loathing if you're a, a Red Sox fan or a Yankees fan or a Mets fan. You know, it's tough. You know, you mentioned what an enjoyable year it was, and it, it was an enjoyable year. But I got to tell you, I don't think I enjoyed it enough, and that's a regret that I have because I've spent so long having my heart broken, and I've been so emotionally guarded against having my heart broken again. I never wanted to – not that I didn't want to be invested. I was invested. I watched over 120 games this year on the East Coast staying up till 1 in the morning, so I was invested, but I never wanted to jinx it. Win four in a row. I never wanted to. I never wanted to get too happy because I know in the past when I get too happy, there comes a seven-game losing streak. So I always just tried to stay even keel throughout the year. I wish I had ridden the wave a little bit more this year. That's my biggest regret. Yeah, I, I, I wholeheartedly uh, suggest enjoying it while you have it because you don't know. Like next year, you don't. There's nothing guaranteed to the Mariners. I think they'll be a good team. I think they'll improve in the offseason. But gosh, there's no guarantee they get to the postseason, look at the White Sox. There's a team that everybody anticipated would go to the World Series, and they didn't even make the postseason. Yeah. So enjoy it while you have it. Enjoy the game that you're watching that day, and hopefully at the end of the season you look back and and uh, a lot of good things happen, and your team's in the postseason. You know, one of the things, you know, in typical Mariners fat, you know, I mentioned being, you're kind of right. You're right about the negative East Coast fan. I think you're dead on to that. Like, and go figure, in typical me fashion, typical Mariners fashion, I went to one Mariners game in person this year. It was game four of that Red Sox series where they got swept, where Munoz gives up the grand slam to Franchi Cordero. I was in the building for that game, and I was, like, looking around at all these other Mariners fans that are jaded like me, and I'm like, at the at that time when the Mariners were playing bad, I'm like, this is our existence. We're all at this game, and this is the most Mariners of games. So I, it's been building for a long time for me to get to that point. Yeah, well, I will say 
you know, when it comes to going to T-Mobile Park or Safeco Field before that, my wife and I always try to avoid going to Red Sox games, Yankee games, yeah. because, uh, you know, not for nothing, but the fans are kind of irritating. So we just try to avoid that pain, although we've been there a few times uh, during those games. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a miserable existence when your team is not playing well, even well, though it's a good team. I'm glad to see the Mariners play well. Obviously, thrilled to get get to the playoffs. Thrilled to win a series. Obviously, I wish it had ended different, but but it didn't. And um, you know, as we look towards the off season, I'm already jacked up because I was I watched all 53 minutes yesterday of the Jerry Depoto Scott Service press conference. I don't know if you saw all of it, but was there anything you saw or read that you really took away as a uh, you know as a big takeaway? Well, I was interested in their comments about J.P. Crawford and whether he would move to to yes. another position if they could acquire a shortstop. Uh, I think it was sort of a, you know, I think they would move him if necessary. But think about it this way: if if uh, if you're you know J.P. Crawford, like you you can't you can't say, oh yeah, we would move him, but and then you don't go get anybody, and now you have to have to have that awkward stare back and forth between you and JP Crawford. Um, that's, so that's one thing. Um, the, the whole Jesse Winker thing was, yeah. was sort of a weird, uh, thing that went down. I think, uh, I think I listened to Ryan Divish talk the other day with Brock and Salk. And I thought that, uh, I, I could believe most of what was said. And, uh, I think, you know, I mean, it's it's very believable that the guy had some issues physically, and that maybe that's why he he wasn't working as much as uh, some of the other guys and things like that. But um, yeah, those are two things that I took away from it. Um, and 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 frankly, they, they made it clear that Adam Frazier is not going to be back because they they specifically said they needed they had a need at second base. So clearly, he's not coming back. They did mention just I think it was Justin Hollander who mentioned very casually, like whether it's Adam Frazier or somebody else. I mean, they did mention his name, but I I tend to agree with you as well that he won't be back. Um, I think my biggest takeaway, the Winker stuff was definitely at the top of the list. And, you know, it's interesting, too, because I think I also believed a lot of what Divish said. And I think now the injury, especially to the knee, probably does shed some light on why he wasn't moving as well, why he wasn't out there working as much. I think that definitely, you know, helps him save a little face and that stuff. But on on the Cal Raleigh walk-off, I specifically looked for Winker in the replays. And he was going as nuts as anybody. So he certainly seemed happy. And it wasn't, right. you know. I didn't get this impression that he was just like, oh, yeah, we're winning, but I'm unhappy. I never got that impression from him. No, I, I, just some of the takeaways from different people talking is that perhaps um, he's, a, he's a happy-go-lucky guy when he's playing well, and he, he may be sort of miserable to be around when he's not. And so if he hadn't been playing well most of the year. That could rub on guys. I could see that. But that you, know, you see that in your, in your everyday life, too. Um, but, uh, no, I don't think he's that sort of guy. I think it's just, uh, you know, maybe it was the amount of playing time he was getting when it was clear he wasn't playing well. And there's other guys on the bench that were working harder and just sitting there while they were losing. One of my other biggest takeaways was that I'd be nervous if I were Kyle Lewis about my standing in the organization. I mean, there's there's multiple angles that this can go in, obviously. I mean, look, Julio's in center. And I think at least at the beginning, as we sit right now, far too early, I would think Kelnick is in left, at least to start. And 
I feel like you're kind of making a choice. Are we bringing back Haniger, or are we, you know, are we bringing Lewis back? It feels like they both can't be here because Winker's going to be here also, at least as of now, supposedly too. So he's in that mix and in the DH group. I, I just feel like they're no longer tethered to Kyle Lewis. And when you look at trade assets that they have, Flexen is one of them, but I still think Lewis probably has more. Yeah, the, the issue with obviously with Lewis is can he play the outfield? Um, I was looking the other day and you know, in the last, let's say, month and a half, he was in Tacoma. He played the outfield maybe five times, something like yeah. that, five or six times, spread out really, if ever, back-to-back days, maybe once a week, twice a week. Um, so that changes everything. He's, what, 26, 27 years old, and is he just a is he just a DH, or is he, a, is he, a, uh, is he capable of playing the outfield three or four times a week? Uh, and he's still sort of an unproven, you know, commodity. He did yeah. win rookie of the year, but if you look at that year and you split it in half, the first half, he was just on fire. It's the first half of the year. It was a month. The first <laughs> month of the two month season, he was on fire. That's basically one. He won the, uh, rookie of the year, but the second month he, you know, actually Evan White was slightly better than him which think about that for a second, Evan White had a really bad 2020. And so what, what is Kyle Lewis? You know, uh, he hasn't played, I don't think he's played uh, much over a hundred games in a, at all. And no. so we don't really know what he is. It's sort of like, we like him a lot. He's a great kid and he was the rookie the year winner and he was a top prospect before, um, before he showed up. And so there's, there's an affinity for him, but maybe he's just never going to fit in here. Maybe it's just, it's, it's destined to that. He's going to have to go somewhere else. Well, you got Winker, you got Julio, you got Kelnick, you got Taylor Trammell. Then you got the, the utility guys like Dylan Moore and Sam Haggerty. And you got whoever else you might sign that could potentially be in the mix. And then there's Lewis and then there's Haniger kind of looming. It just feels like there's certainly not room for Haniger and Lewis both. Although, as we saw, you know, apparently you can never have too many outfielders this year. Yeah. But uh, so we'll see what happens there. Um, I'm certainly very interested in that. The name I'm going to keep mentioning throughout the offseason is Michael Conforto. I'm going to mention that to anybody who will listen in that, look, this feels like the perfect scenario for all parties. I, like I, Michael Conforto wants a big deal. He's not going to get a big deal after missing the entire season. So the one year Scott Boris pillow contract, one year, 12 million, go out and rake and then go somewhere else. I could see that being a mix in the mix to appeal to everybody. What do you think of Conforto maybe being in the mix? I like Conforto. Um, he had a he had a bad uh, or a rough twenty twenty one. He had some injuries, and uh, but I like you know his expected stats and things like that that I like to track were still pretty good. You know, although you look at his conventional numbers, they weren't great. Um, he's okay in the outfield, um, right fielder. Played in a in a park where you know, similar to T-Mobile Park, it sort of depressed his offense, and yet he he still was very productive at team at the city field for the Mets. Um, local guy, you know, yeah. there's a connection there, certainly. Um, I, yeah, I, I could see that on a shorter-term deal. I mean, like you said, I mean, sort of a prove-it deal because you don't really know what you have. And I'm always leery about the guy that has the shoulder surgery and what, what does that really mean. Uh, for them when they come back. I mean, Michael Brantley uh, some years ago had so- shoulder surgery when he was with Cleveland, and he, yeah. he he went on to have a good 
really good. It took him a little while to get back, and then he was pretty good with actually an all-star with Cleveland, and then he went on um, and had some very good years with Houston afterwards. So, yeah, he could be a guy that, uh, on, a, on a right deal, could make sense to the Mariners. My fun Conforto story is I saw Conforto in the New York Penn League. I was actually working. So I worked for a very short stint one summer. Um, I guess it's technically an internship, even, but it was kind of in scouting with the Astros, actually. And I was at their low A affiliate in Albany, New York. And Joe Musgrove was there that year, and J.D. Davis was there that year. So some of those guys were there. But Conforto was playing for the Brooklyn Cyclones, and they came to town at the end of the year. And uh, Conforto was playing left field. And had to have been among the worst outfielders I've ever, ever seen in my life. Like, and again, it's minor leagues, it's chain link fences, it's windscreens on there. It's definitely difficult. You know, you're almost running into concrete down there in the corner. I have never seen a worse outfielder than I saw in that series, Conforto against the Tri-City Valley Cats. I'm actually glad to see him become a relatively good defender because that was good. That was ugly those days. Right. That was ugly. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> funny. That's funny. Yeah, I, I would say he's average, or maybe it's slightly better at times, but maybe slightly worse. But not. He's certainly a serviceable outfielder. He's not a a detriment uh, like we saw with Jesse Winker this year. Not to not to pound on him, but uh, yeah, I I can see him making sense. They certainly need two to three bats. Uh, two bats for sure. If uh, Hanniger sticks around, and three. Um, if he doesn't. And so they're going to have to find them somewhere. An outfield is certainly a corner outfield spot would have to be one of them. And the Evan White thing is really interesting too. I mean, because being left-handed, he's obviously hamstrung in terms of where he can physically play on the diamond. We know he can play first, but DePoto said yesterday that Ty France is our first baseman. So certainly the idea of him coming in and, and starting there um, is is not applicable right now. They could, as they worked him out in the outfield, I know earlier this year, they could try to get him there, or maybe he could mix in at the DH, but he's going to be a tough guy to try to figure out a spot for, too, if he, you know, or what his plans are. And, you know, are they going to bring back Santana, et cetera? So they're just creating a logjam. I'm interested to see what happens with Evan White, too. Yeah, I, I you know, um, you know, he's had a rough go here with the injuries, and uh, he's certainly the best defensive first baseman I've seen since Keith Hernandez. So that's. Mm. That's saying something, um, but yeah, it's what can he hit, and uh, we don't know. We don't know. He he's had just a you know, twenty twenty was a disaster, and uh, he's probably one of those players, those prospects that were hurt by the pandemic because they didn't have a place to like. They signed him to that major league contract, um, which everybody's made such a big deal about, and then in twenty twenty there was nowhere to send him when he was struggling. If, if it had been a normal year, they would have just sent him to Tacoma to figure things out, give him a chance to, to get back on track, but they ended up keeping him and then uh, things just, you know, unraveled the following year. Uh, so unfortunately, uh, yeah, it's hard to tell like Kyle Lewis, what, what is he going to be for the Mariners and will he ever be anything for the Mariners? Well, lots of stuff to, uh, to think about. I guess my biggest concerns going into the offseason outside of improving the offense is I'm always nervous about bullpen regression. Like the bullpen was great each of the last two years. So I think there is enough data that suggests that it's not necessarily going to fall off a cliff entirely and go from, you know, top five to last. But if they go from top five to 15th, that's a significant downgrade. And, you know, I, I was worried about Paul Seawald before everybody else was worried about Paul Seawald. I started worrying about him in the beginning of September as opposed to the end of September. Um, 
you know, he doesn't throw particularly hard. I still think he's got good stuff, but, you know, is he going to be the guy closing games in the ninth? I don't know about that. And Munoz, it's going to be hard for anybody to repeat what he did this year. And Diego Castillo is always kind of hit or miss. And Brash, I think, will be better next year out there. So he's probably a guy you can count on to come back and help. Casey Sadler, what is he? I mean, I just think I, the bullpen regression always makes me nervous. Yeah, uh, and, and that's a fair thought. And they did try to address it last offseason. They picked up Ken Giles. Yeah, uh, they brought in Sergio Romo uh, or late. Um, and oh, I forgot about. I tried to block out the Sergio Romo era. Yeah, that was pretty rough. I mean, he yeah. seemed like a good guy, but gosh, he had nothing left in the tank. Uh, but yeah, they tried to bring a few guys in, and um, especially after uh, um, Casey Sadler was hurt. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean. Munoz was sort of an add-in, and so was uh, Brash. So uh-huh. you, they did actually bring in a couple of new faces, and I anticipate they'll do the same thing again because you're right. And I think if you listen to Jerry Depoto and Justin Hollander talk, you know, not necessarily yesterday, but over the last few months, they acknowledge that bullpens are somewhat volatile and, and unpredictable from year to year. Seawald, yes, I, you know, if you look back to last year. He, the same sort of thing happened. He he did seem to uh, kind of fall apart near the end of the year. And I don't know that's usage, fatigue, you know, what. But uh, he had a rough September in 2021. And then we saw again here in September and then into October, he had some troubles. He's always going to be susceptible to the long ball. Um, he's, but his strikeout rate, his swing and miss rate were way down this year compared to last year, which were really, really good. Um, and so, yeah, what is he next year? I don't know. You know, is he, is he should be, should he be the, the bet, the top choice to be the, uh, the closeout guy? Probably not. That's probably Munoz right now. You know, it's crazy too. And I hope I say this right. Cause I know what I'm trying to say. It seems cruel and, and twisted that, having such good health in the regular season might have hurt you towards the end of the year. And what I mean is like, you know, they didn't miss any starts with their starters. And then outside of Castillo and Swanson, I don't believe that any key bullpen guys really missed any time. I mean, I Barucky, yes, got hurt, but you know, these guys were available all the time in the regular season, but they appeared gassed at the end. And it feels cruel that your punishment for staying healthy is just being tired at the end of the season when they need you most. Yeah, that's a good point. And like the starters, the zero starters went to the IL. And uh, and even though they pitched a lot of innings, they pitched a lot of quality starts. There was, you know, there were, the way the Mariners play, they play a lot of one-run games or close games. And so you're having to rely on your high-leverage guys quite a bit. I think they had five guys that had 50-plus innings this year. So that's, that's quite a few. It's not, I don't know if it's leading the league, but when you think about it, that's a lot of work. Munoz threw more innings than he had ever thrown. Uh, and you know, Seawald is new to the relatively new to the relief game. He just really started doing what he's doing when he came to Seattle. And so, yeah, I, I, you know, it's uh it's a, it's a terrible uh, reward to be, to beat up and busted up by the end of the year, because uh, you know, you were so good and so healthy through the year. I'm also going to be interested to see what happens at catcher aside from Cal Raleigh. It's not necessarily the most important part of the roster. We're certainly going to focus on bigger things, but they seem to really like Tom Murphy, his leadership, call a game, defensive ability certainly has some pop, especially against lefties. I know we haven't seen too much of it recently, but he's got pop against lefties. 
Terenz can hit lefties, isn't really a great defensive catcher. Do they go out and get somebody else to to supplement that group? I don't know. It's just it's one of the the little roster spots that I'm going to be interested in what they do at catcher. Are they just content with Murphy and they jettison Terenz? Do they bring in somebody else? I don't know. Well, I, yeah, I don't think uh, Terenz is your answer at catcher. I really like his bat. I really, really do like his bat. He hits the ball hard, which is... Really I thought he was going to have to start game four if they won that 18-inning marathon on the mound. After what well, he did at the end of the season against Detroit, I thought he was going to have to pitch. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> we, well, he would have been an option. He would have been an option. Yeah, yeah. Murphy is a possibility. Certainly, uh, they're going to have to have somebody behind Raleigh. Who else? Who also played? I think a career high in in games and innings, and so he's certainly a young man and can handle it. But you do want to have a guy who you feel comfortable with, who can uh, work with the with the pitching staff in case Raleigh went down for two weeks or for a month or whatever. You, you know, you just don't want to. Okay, we got Luis Torrens back there, and he's not really good at at, uh, at catching and framing and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, so Murphy it would, is a possibility, or they could just find another guy like Murphy, somebody who's a veteran, who's you know good defensively, and you know maybe platoon wise is good one way or the other. Could spot Raleigh, you know, twice a week or something like that. You know, another thing, and this is such a nerdy thing to care about, but I care about it. Maybe you will too. I don't know. Is the the new schedule format for next year that's going to have an impact? And I and I I would have to think initially that it's going to negatively impact the Mariners. Like, yes, they're going to lose six games against Houston, which I love, but they're also losing six games against the A's and six games against the Rangers and six games against against the Angels. And, you know, you're going to see the Dodgers and the Padres every year. And you're going to see the Cardinals and you're going to see the Braves and you're going to see the Mets. And they saw all those teams this year. I understand that and did fine, but I don't know. I don't, I don't love getting rid of the... Uh, you know, some of the divisional weaklings in favor of some of these other good teams around baseball and more travel to the East Coast, I'm sure, that's going to accompany all this. Yeah, they have the second most, uh, right now as it stands, they'll have the second most miles traveled behind, I think, Oakland. I mean, I that shocks me. They're not first. I Yeah, it's, there's not a big difference. It's like 800 or 900 mile difference, which is nothing when you consider air travel. Uh, yeah. Well, at least they get to play Pittsburgh and they get to play uh, Cincinnati uh, and, and Miami and, and teams like that. But you're right. Uh, you know, less of, less of uh, Texas who might be pretty, might be better next year, but certainly less of Oakland. Uh, maybe it's better, less of the angels because we just, you know, the Mariners just seem to have a hard time with, with the angels for whatever reason. Uh, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see. It will be nice to go to some other parks and see parks that we haven't seen very much and see them on a more regular basis and see players that we don't see in, on a regular basis too. As, as you think about it, as we look back here, we'll wrap up here momentarily, but as you think back, what are some of your favorite memories from this season? You actually get to go to games in person more than I do. So what are some of your favorite memories that stand out? Uh, well, obviously the, the most recent would be the Cal Raleigh home run. Um, Were you fight? at that game? No, I haven't been any games this year with, uh, with my wife, but uh, we uh, normally we go to games every year. We're season ticket holders, but this year we had to kind of put that on hold. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, um, the Cal Raleigh home run, the fight. Um, gosh, you know, I'm not necessarily one for big memorable, uh, moments, but, uh, um, just, you know, the 14 game winning streak in its, in of itself as an event was, was sort of cool to see them do that. Um, 
yeah, I don't know if I could, I'm not necessarily the guy that can tell you, oh yeah, I remember this <laughs> game back in June. That was really something. I'm not really that, that person, but, uh, um, I just, as a whole, I think, you know, the, the fact that they became relevant again. And when I talk to my friends on the East coast who don't have much time for anything other than the Mets and the Yankees, and they know about the Mariners and that's, that's kind of cool in itself. The win 13 innings against the Yankees Castillo against Cole. That's going to be my standout memory of the year. I think if for, for all the times I lamented not enough offense with this team and all the times I got mad about not scoring runs, that to me I think will be the standout memory. And then the next day, Sam Haggerty hitting a home run to break up a no-hitter from Nestor Cortez, uh, you know, to win that game too. I just I think that that Yankee series is probably going to stand out to me more than anything. Yeah, that's a good one. And also when they uh they swept Toronto in uh, Seattle. That was sort of nice too because you know, we went uh, like I say, we avoided we, t- we tend to avoid uh, going when the Yankees and the Red Sox are there, but we never go anymore uh, when the Blue Jays are in town just because of the, the influx of fans. And because we did go one year and it was just, I mean, the people were nice. There wasn't anybody that was rude to us or anything, but it's just a little bit too much. And, uh, and for the sweep them and just shut them up um, was kind of nice. You know, it was as good as, you know, the only moment that was better is when uh, Felix said, this is my house. Uh, yes. That was that was a pretty cool moment there, a pretty cool Felix moment. Well, it was great, too, because I told you I watched – I had to have watched or listened to probably 130 games this year. I said 120 earlier. It's probably closer to 130. But I was out of town and out of service for – two or three of those games. So all I had was just, I could check the scores on TV, but I couldn't watch anything. I couldn't check anything online, et cetera. So I didn't even find out about Gino's walk-off home run against Romo. Ironically enough, that was a game that was on Apple TV until the next morning. The game that they won with Santana beating uh, Manoa, I think it wasn't a walk-off. It was like a seventh or eighth inning home run that he hit off Manoa. I didn't see that until the next morning. And then I rushed home and I got to see the Sunday game where they ended up coming from behind and winning. It was a fun series. And yeah, I, I was like, once again, delayed in finding out what happened in that yeah. one. Yeah. It's uh, it, it's, it was just a great season all over, you know, um, once it became clear, they were going to get in that it's like, there was a little bit less pressure. You felt like you knew they were going to get in and like, there's no way they can blow this. Like you don't have to win one more game out of the next, what it was five or six, but you know, they're going to get there. And, um, that was a nice feeling, but then we were actually, my wife and I were down in Oregon and, uh, sitting in a hotel watching it. And, uh, when Cal Raleigh hit that home run and it was just, it was just surreal, you know, and, and, and so exciting and so thrilling. And like, I, I think I tweeted out was that, you know, you know, I've only been, in Seattle since 2009, but my wife's been a lifelong fan. And so has her father. And that's the, those are the people I felt happy for was that they finally got this, this monkey off their back of having not reached the postseason for two decades and seeing, you know, always every year starting out with some hope for some of these players they brought in and all, and then so many disappointments when they didn't pan out. And, and finally to, to get there was just extraordinary. Well, you can count me in that group too. 30, 30 years plus sufferer of the uh, of Mariners futilities. So, uh, and I'm glad it all came to an end. It was ironic for me. I got to watch it with my parents. I was actually home in New York for that weekend. And uh, I got to watch it with my parents, see the home run that Cal hit with them. And it's, 
it's poetic because no one has heard me bitch more in the last 20 years than my parents. So they deserve to be there at the end when the bitching finally got to stop. So uh, it was a nice moment with them. But Luke, man, I appreciate it. All your work at uh, Prospect Insider, all your work on social media. We'll tweet out your handle. More people follow you, although many more people are following you than this podcast at the moment. So you're helping us get it uh, get it off the ground with off-season episode number one, overall episode number three, man. So we appreciate it. Uh, we'll do it again as we get a little bigger. Okay, anytime. I love talking baseball. <laughs>